This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week this season, we'll bring you fresh content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations, and our main goal in everything we do, including this podcast, is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. I'm excited to let you know that we are currently offering a completely online national disciple-making forum. It's April 29th and 30th of this year, just a little bit away, and you can register for this at discipleship.org. You can do this today. Today's episode features Faith International University's track from the National Disciple-Making Forum called the Robert E. Coleman School of Discipleship. So before we get into the featured audio for this track, we wanted you to know about a free resource that's closely associated with this content. It's an ebook called Revisiting the Master Plan of Evangelism. You can download this free ebook at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now for today's episode called The Master Plan, What It Is and What It Isn't, Part 2, featuring Faith International University's Scotty Kessler. Let's begin. Well, this is the second half of the deal. I'll try to cover as much ground as I can. We were talking about fruit, and uh, you know, John 15 not only says we'll bear fruit, it says we'll bear much fruit. That's a big deal. Fruit that will last, that's a big deal. That's eternity. Eternity's got to be your target. If, if, when you know eternity's your target, when you know that's your home, when you know you're seated in the heavenlies right now, then you can make sure your track gets on that target. Because if you want to end up in that station... Uh, like getting from point A to point B would be a, a good thing. You like not to be too, uh, uh, you know, run around and waste a lot of time. You want to be somebody that can maximize your fruit as much possible. Show yourselves to be his disciples. The, the scriptures say they're going to know you're his disciples by your love for one another. That's love for God, love for others. The great commandment leads to the great confession, uh, great commission. Proof. Matthew 3 8 says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is a big deal. Listen to Neil Anderson's seminar. Repentance is a big deal. The result of that is fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that is proof. Fear God about the parable of the seeds. I talked about the Barna stat. Billy Graham, uh, I, I read that he said something like he thought possibly 25% of those that come down in an altar call situation actually are converted, which means stay converted. Because we talked about in the parable of the seeds, if you don't stay converted, is that possible? Well, I don't know your doctrinal position. All I know is the parable of the seed says some guys that got snatched right away, some guys had no root, and it fell away. We certainly have people we know in our circles that have fallen away from the faith, right? Who at one point committed or were born again or were even hot for God and fell away. It doesn't, doesn't look like it ends well based on what I can see in the scriptures. Third guy, gal, choked by the worries of this world doesn't bear fruit, not obedient. Corinthians escapes as one saved by the fire, not the end we want, not what he died for. Three out of the four, fasting, Billy Graham's stat, about 25% have uh, stayed converted, and you got 75% of the good seed that were born again uh, either fell away, that's a bad deal, or born of fruit, that's a bad deal, at least though they're saved. C.T. Studd, great... uh, missionary from the British Isles who worked in China and India and the Congo. He didn't even count a conversion unless they walked for God for 10 years. 
He didn't consider it. You know, we throw out, we want the stats and the measurables up on the big screen the day after the event to tell everybody that got saved and who got born and who got baptized, right? He doesn't even count it till 10 years if they're still in the faith and walking. There's some, that's, that's fair. That'd be fair. Really, that's short. Because if they were saved at 20 and they got 50 more years, that, that torment and devil's trying to steal the whole time. It's staying into the end. The cool thing about the kingdom is the guy on the cross, uh, you know, he gets born again just before he, gets, before he dies. That's the cool thing, the grace of God, right? But one of the realities of the kingdom also is you can fall away. You can, you can build on a foundation that burns up and there's nothing left. That's a fear God part of the kingdom. But discipleship is the insurance policy to protect and provide for all of us. It's our protection. It's our provision. We call it the push-pull. I'm giving my life away as somebody gives his life to me. I give my life away in such a way that they give their life away as he keeps giving his life away to me and others as I give my life away to him and others and he gives his life away and they give their life away and we're all provided and protected. Because when the snake comes to bite somebody or when the devouring lion goes after the herd in Africa and if there's a thousand uh, deer, whatever, antelope that are running in that direction, and one guy turns sideways and 999 don't go that way, he doesn't go after the 999. He goes after the one that went sideways, who wasn't protected, who wasn't provided for, who was outside the fort. And discipleship solves that when it's practiced biblically. We are in our discipleship, six points here, and all this stuff you don't need to write it down. We'll give you whatever resources you want of any of this stuff. And I'll allude to that at the end. So feel free to just listen. Uh, we want to be relational. Right? This is about relationships. Walk with God. Be with people. Have a plan. Have a plan. Make sure it's a good plan. Execute the plan. If you, have a plan. if you don't have a plan, that's bad. If you have a plan that's a bad plan, that's bad. If you have a good plan to disciple and you aren't executing it, that's bad. The only thing that has value is to have a good plan and actually execute the plan. Do the right thing the right way. Repeat the process until he returns or you die. That's a good plan. That's a good plan. What is your plan? If I go into a church and consult them, I say, what's your plan of discipleship? My experience, my experience compared to the target of multiplication, a la the master plan of evangelism way, my experience is most people either don't have a plan or their plan is at best addition and at best, the Sea of Galilee that turns into the Dead Sea. Does that make sense? They walk with people, they have a group, they meet with them, and they hope that they reproduce. I don't hope my sons have kids. I want them to have kids. I'm going to encourage them to have kids. I'm going to be with them to make sure. that I'm talking about my physical boys. What parent ever has kids and says, I hope my kids never marry because I don't want any grandchildren. And I for sure don't want grandchildren. What would you call that guy? right? Can you, can you see the insanity even in the natural? I want children who have children, who have children, who have children. Wouldn't you as a parent, if you could live, if you could afford whatever your parameters are, wouldn't you want a, a kids? I mean, granted, it's costly, right? Parenting is costly. The problem in the, in the planet is people don't weigh the cost of having kids. Thus, the kids end up at some point disabled and destruct, destroyed or destructive. Is that fair? 
But if you want kids and you provide and protect them and you're with them over time, so we call it Q over two, Q over Q. Relationship, a quantity of relationship over a quantity of time. Q over Q, Q over Q. Quantity of relationship. So I need to walk with Brent. So our, our covenant, we haven't said this. I'm saying this for the first time. We're in this for, we're in this for life. He and I are in this for life. And he's got a mission field and I'm his uncle and I live 2,000 miles away, but we're as invested as an uncle. I am available. I don't feel responsible because I'm not discipling him, but I am available and we're in relationship. And his flock is my flock. It's under the umbrella of my care, which is under the umbrella of his care. And we do it together. We do it together for life until he returns. My children are my children. My children's children, they're, they're mine as much as they could be in the flesh. This is our opinion. If when you disciple, you don't feel like those men and women you're working with are actually your kids, you're going to lose traction in your discipleship. If they're a job, you're not going to have traction. If you give your life to them, but it's partial, it's not committed, your plan is for it to be just to get them to get out of the house, then they'll feel that and the transformational impact will be less. But if he knows I'm in this for life and you call me at any time and let's hang out when we can. And if I can come there, I'd like to. We got a chance to have impact. And he knows he matters to me, right? Yes. He knows he matters to me. I met him last year in this dealy Bob. Let's play some ball. Let's play some ball. Let's advance the kingdom. Let's advance together. In your mission field, in my mission field, and let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, God, the battle's not against flesh and blood. The weapons we have are not of this world. The nations, Lord, we want the nations for your sake, your glory, your glory. God, give us labors, more labors. John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my disciples and their disciples. God, be with my guys. Be with my guys. Oh, God, bear fruit through Ryan today and at Phoenix and through Cole in Illinois. For Randy, oh, God, for Jamie in Macedonia. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. Protect them, God. Protect their marriages. Bear fruit. Put a long barrel on that rifle and shoot and keep shooting. Lengthen that barrel. A quantity of relationship over a quantity of time till he returns or we're dead. This is our commitment because eternity is the goal. That's the track we're on and where eyes are focused on Jesus and the mission of the gospel, which is making disciples who reproduce, reproducers who reproduce, and then it becomes multiplication. You don't multiply. You reproduce reproducers who then become multiplication. If you're thinking multiply, you're not going to reproduce. you got to reproduce somebody who reproduces somebody, and then they have to do it in such a way that it has continued. And as it continues, multiplication is the result of that. Now, granted, this is a hypothetical model. And at any point, it breaks down. All we're saying is the reason he wasn't freaked about the fact that there were no cell phones or computers in the year zero is he didn't need stuff. He didn't need money. He didn't need buildings. He didn't need stuff. He needed people who were committed to walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce and multiply. That's our target. He needed those guys. And those 12 were those guys, unschooled, Ordinary, that includes all of us, men and women, that he was going to give his life away, give them the power to reproduce, reproducers, and we're in their tree. If you could extend the tree of the disciples at some point, 
were attached to somebody in that tree because they were his reproduction units. That's the math. Okay, I won't go over it again. The math does not lie. If all you do is meet with men and then get some new men to meet with and get some new men to meet with and they all grow and they don't give their life away, they're going to be dead spiritually even as they're smarter in terms of knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Love is agape. That's die, die, die. There's no other way to life is to die to yourself. Give your life away. Enlarge my territory for your sake, O God. Solomon's prayer, Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge to serve, to lead, to disciple your people. For who is able to govern, to lead such a great people as yours? Who's able, oh God? Give me help. Help me. Help me. Help me, parent. Help me, father. Help me, uncle. Others. For the sake of the cross. Does that make sense? I love this. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. If he hears you, you can know. You can know. You can know. You've received that request you've made of him. You can know it. You don't need to see it. You know it. Romans 4. Abraham called things that are not as though they are. God said, you're going to have a kid. His wife's barren. He's super old. She's super old. What does he say? Cool. Because God said it. He said, go make disciples. That's his will. Ask for disciples. You know he's going to give you disciples because you ask. If you don't have them, ask and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep asking. If you live in Bernal Beach, come to him. He'll give you somebody. If you live in Omaha or Tacoma or Phoenix or somebody, come to me and we'll give you somebody. We get calls from people that say, Susie's moving to Charleston. Do we know anybody there? We get on the horn to the network of discipleship. And so if I call Brent up and I say, would you take care of Bob? He just moved into town. We know what we just said. I didn't say invite him to church. I didn't say go out to coffee. I said, would you parent him or find somebody who'll parent him? But I'm believing you know what I mean when I say, would you take care of him? It's not an invitation to church. And so I'm going to go to coffee and see if he calls me back. This is about understanding that parents, we're looking for children that need parents, and we're going to parent them, or we're going to find somebody to parent them, and we're going to stay at it until they're parented. When that's your heartbeat, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. It's like all the yes and amens of the Bible. It's all going to happen. God's will is going to be done. It's just a matter of time. Can't tell you how. I can't tell you when. I can tell you yes. Dawson Trotman. Let me do that right now. Talk about it. So here's resources. I'm just diverting, verging. verging. So Born to Reproduce is a little booklet. You can get them for 50 cents. Okay? They're a little booklet. It's Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators, forerunner, protege of Dr. Coleman, forerunner in at least our generation, so to speak, of what it was like to give yourself away in a reproductive way that results in multiplication. This booklet is like a teaser for me. If I talked to Brent and we had a conversation about discipleship and I thought he was intrigued at all, I'd say, here, read this. Get back to me in three days and tell me what you think about it. If he gets back to me, if he doesn't get back to me, that tells me something. If he does get back to me when I asked him to, I know I found somebody faithful. That means I'm, I'm fishing, right? I'm fishing with somebody who has some interest. And if he says, oh, that was kind of cool, I realize not now. But if he says, I want that enchilada, then we got a chance. This is my teaser to get him moving forward to think about becoming a fourth-knuckle believer, to think about leaving the land of self-absorption and unfulfillment to the land of 
reproduction, multiplication, which is where all the action is, all the fruit is, and all the power is. He's not going to give us power and fruit for disobedience. When my boys say, I want to go to McDonald's or Dairy Queen or Disneyland or go to a Mariners game, and I ask them to take out the trash and they don't, I don't say, let's go to Disneyland. Say, when you decide to obey me, I want to go to Disneyland. I want to go to the Mariners game, but I'm not taking you to spoil you entirely if you don't obey me at a minimal level. I give the fruit and the power to those who walk with a heart for obedience. He's going to give you power to glorify his name, not your name. He's going to give you power to advance his kingdom, not your kingdom. If you wonder why you don't have power, that would be it. He talks about that. He talks about that. Advancing the kingdom. It's a phenomenal teaser. Then Dr. Coleman's book is the benchmark book in our generation. I'm not advocating this. He's not asking me to sell it. I don't care if you pick it up. I'm saying if any of this stuff interests you, this is the boundary guidelines of the principles of what Jesus did with the 12 and is it applicable in every culture, age, time, language, people, group, nation? Yes. These are the principles. First one being selection. Dr. Coleman would say, my experience also piggybacks that, is who you choose is a big deal. Who you choose to come alongside is a big deal. Because if I invest in a bank at 0.0001% my whole life, that'd be a bad plan if I can invest in a bank with 1%, let alone 10%, let alone 1,500%. That's why Jesus spent all night in prayer, because he needed to pick well, because his plan depended on those unschooled, ordinary guys. And he had to know from his father that they were the guys. And the few will always impact the many. We're not looking at a special little social club. I want as many kids as want to jump in the boat. And if somebody wants to join my men's fellowship discipleship group, that's great. It'll cost you. This is the price. Here's the rights. Here's the responsibilities. Let's advance together. The cost is you're going to give your life away to somebody else for a lifetime with a whole heart, a clear mind, a strong will, and great passion. That's the price. The benefit is fulfillment beyond what you can ask or imagine. And eternity, which is like a pretty good cherry, right? If you want another book, it's just my recommendation. This is Leroy Imes. He's a, a longtime navigator. And, and Dr. Coleman's book is Principles and Concepts. And this is Practice and Stories and Examples and Case Studies. Just a tremendous book by Leroy Imes. I talk about prayer. Um, my, my opinion, pure opinion, is if there's two areas that the devil is ferociously angry about and has to stop, it would be corporate, regular, long praying, which is non-existent in the body. Shadonki is talking about it. He's talking about their commitment to fast and pray for hours. And you should hear the story of how much they commit in their school. It's, it's, it's basically virtually non-practiced in America. In my observation, prayer meetings are usually Bible studies where at the end they say, well, it's about 8 o'clock now, we should pray a little bit. It's the normative deal, but pounding away on the altar. I've, I've done little teachings with pastors, and, they'll, and we'll pray for an hour as just kind of a role play so they can see what it's like to cry out to God for an hour. And they'll say in humility, I've, i, I got to be honest, I've never done that in my life. I've never prayed for a block of an hour or more, ever, let alone regularly. Are we doing it with our staffs? Our flocks are going to follow us. If they don't see, how can we approximate what can't be seen? Discipleship is super simple. I follow God. Brent watches me follow God. I watch him follow God. He follows God, reproduce, and multiply. That's discipleship. That's how everything is learned. 
right? Jesus walked with the Father. They watched him walk with the Father. He then sent them out and watched them walk with the Father. He left the planet, gave him the power, walked with the Father. It's how prayer multiplies. I pray along. Brent watches me pray along. I watch him lead people pray along. I leave the scene and he leads along praying in his community. And he teaches others, every one of them. Not just the one who's intercessory prayer is not a spiritual gift. It's a commandment. It's not a gift. It's not for special guys. It's not for those. It's for anybody who wants to bite into that enchilada to tap into supernatural power. Everybody has access to the Father boldly. Everybody. Ask what you can imagine. More than you can ask what you imagine. Nobody's got time. I don't. I don't know about you. I don't have time. I, I reckon you don't have time. Nobody has time. That's not the point. I learned from one of my mentors. You don't have time. You make time. You make a decision to make time about what matters to you. Every one of these guys and every one of these guys, they got to have a vision for it. Whether they do it or not is their decision, right? You can't make somebody go where they don't want to go. But what you can do is appeal, pray. I pray that my guys get committed to prayer. I pray they pray long. I show them how to pray. I make them pray with me. I send them out to reproduce prayer groups. What they do the moment I leave the scene or I'm not in town, I have no idea. But I'm praying. My insurance policy to my flawed articulation and my flawed testimony and my flawed example is I pound on the altar a lot. That covers me from my inadequacy and quirkiness and all the stuff that gets in the way like we as humans. Ian Bounds, in my observation... It's not a doctrinal book. He wrote seven booklets like this. You can get a compilation for less than 10 bucks used on Amazon. I read these continuously. I reread them and reread them because blocking and tackling is how you win football games, man. It ain't fancy schemes. It's not big programs and some cool little new scheme with a new offensive twist. You block, you tackle, you got a chance. Praying the word of God. Memorizing scripture, our toolbox of fundamentals that we give to our disciples to reproduce and multiply. There's 10 of them. We call them the big 10. You do what you got to do with my guys. I have found that men, this is my field, men generally don't pray with any length or regularity. They don't have a plan to read the Bible daily in such a way that they can grow They might go three or four, two, five, you know what I'm saying? A little bit here, a little bit there. You know, when you, when he's the bread of life and you don't feed on him with a plan to regularly do it, you're going to be starved and not know it. That's a bad plan. Prayer, Bible reading, Bible memory. Bible memory is a lost art. It's not an art. It's obedience. Prayer, Bible meeting, Bible memory. We learn the books of the Bible so my guys can have a chance to be competent and find their way around and not hunt and scratch in the table of contents, which is embarrassing for young people. So they sing, we learn, this is our plan. They learn the books of the Bible, 66 words in a row. They learn within two weeks with the tune of Gilligan's Island in the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and then the book of Psalms. Blah, 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 blah. They learn it. It's corny. It's funny. Some guys can't sing it. Do it. If you've got a better way to learn 66 words in a row, go get them. Nobody has a better way that I've ever found. Because music somehow tied to words, it sinks. Prayer, Bible reading, Bible memory, Bible song, Bible study. Not, not Bible study. There's enough knowledge going around. Learning how to use a study Bible to feed yourself, that's new territory. 
learn how to use a study Bible to study the Bible and teach other people how to learn to use a study Bible to study the Bible. If I give you a fish, you eat for today. If I teach you how to fish, you eat forever. That's good. Good for us. Nuts to everybody else. If I teach you how to teach others how to fish, everybody eats forever. Teach people how to teach others how to fish and keep fishing as they teach others how to fish and keep fishing. We use the study Bible as a vehicle to reproduce reproducers who reproduce and thus becomes multiplication. Prayer Bible, reading Bible, memory Bible, song Bible study, five questions. We regularly ask five questions that have to do with evangelism, discipleship for accountability reasons. Who are you praying for to come to Jesus and what are you doing to relationally rub with them to give them a chance for the gospel to have traction because you actually have a relationship with them? Does that make sense? The easy way out is let's do a rally. Let's hire this athlete or this singer to come in and talk, and a thousand will come to the Lord. God knows where they go the next day. God knows if the seed doesn't get snatched that night. God knows that they don't go to a local church and attempt to go there regularly. God knows if anybody in the church even cares about them, a new believer, to invest in them to provide protection. Boom, boom, seed, seed, seed. See the problem? Problem. The school teacher and the homemaker and the accountant and the mechanic got a better chance to reach the world than the mass evangelist who's unbelievably effective and anointed. And even Dr. Coleman has, we've had this conversation, Billy Graham has said this about him, part of his grief in the early years of the Crusades is I got all these people coming up front and I have no idea where they go and what happens the next day. He understood the parable of the seeds. That's why he pursued Dr. Trotman, Dawson Trotman, who he knew was reproducing reproducers in Los Angeles through the military shipyards. And he said, I beg you, I beg you to partner with me to allow us to have a follow-up mechanism so that the people who come up front, I can leave and go to the next city and feel like maybe somebody will be there for them to wipe their buns and clean up their mouth when they puke. Because that's going to happen. Right? Not good odds. If I know that I'm sharing, my, and, and, and out of four people, three of them aren't even going to walk for a year, let alone for a lifetime, I, I don't feel good about that. I can't imagine the burden on a pastor or evangelist who gives altar calls and people actually commit and actually get baptized, and he has no idea because the church is so big or whatever if anybody's even following up with them at all. I can't imagine that burden. I can't imagine that burden. I pray they fear God and have a good plan in place that those folks don't slip through the cracks because that's a dead guy and gal forever who's going to reproduce himself, which is more death, unless somebody comes in and breaks the cycle. This is what we got to fear God about. And fear God both keeps us from sinning and it moves us to pray because if we don't get his help, like Solomon prayed, we're dead. We're dead. All our best dreams, plans, articulations, teachings, preachings, We're dead if he doesn't rescue us from the dominion of darkness. Multiplication. The math doesn't lie. School teacher, accountant, mechanic, unschooled, ordinary men and women, they're the players in the kingdom. Nobody knows their name and never will. They just faithfully meet with somebody and teach them how to meet with somebody who meets with somebody, reproduce, reproduce, reproduce until he returns or you die. This is the plan. In our discipleship, we're relational. We call this a rub. We're trying to rub with people a quantity of force over a quantity of time. If all I do is see them on Monday morning, that's not discipleship anything more than with my six-year-old. I say, Riley, I'll put you to bed tonight. I'll see you tomorrow for an hour, and I'll come back on Friday night from my long trip, and I'll come in and say hi to you and tuck you in bed. 
Have a good life. Go be a mature female. Love God with your whole heart. Fight against culture. Go reproduce yourself. What are the chances of that? Right? That's church. Come on Sunday. If you want, we got a Wednesday night Bible study. Or you can join a small group if you want. We'll try to give you a bunch of options. It's really cool. Trust me on that. Bye. What are the chances on that? Intentional. We do it on purpose. We don't disciple accidentally. We disciple on purpose. A lot of people make physical babies unintentionally, don't they? They didn't mean to birth that kid, but now he's there. And they didn't want him. They don't want him now. And they don't mind if he's dead before he comes out of the womb. Is that fair? Cold, harsh, fair? Truth? We don't want that to happen in the reproduction cycle in the kingdom of God. We want to do it intentionally. That means we do it on purpose. And we do it strategically. That means we have a plan. We do it practically, meaning we're trying to learn practical habits. Habits, I find that men don't sustainably, that means it'll last. They don't sustainably read the word, pray, read the word, memorize scripture, learn their way, study to show themselves approved, right? They don't think about evangelism. They don't pray about disciple or evangelistic prospects. They don't pray for their disciples. They don't disciple and they don't ask for more disciples. They're not in positions of accountability with another brother or two or five. They don't feel comfortable articulating their faith. If I asked somebody to stand up here and give a gospel presentation, if I picked you out randomly, would you feel great about it? Or would you feel a little bit like you're tightening up, like I hope he doesn't call on me? That's a problem in the body if everybody doesn't have a plan to share their testimony or share a gospel presentation. Or if somebody says they want to come in the faith, they have a plan to actually walk them into a relationship. And then walk with them in the relationship, which is more than walking them into a relationship. This is where I find men are short. I presume women are short too. What we do have is a bunch of Bible knowledge, because if the guy does preach the Word of God, which is not always going to be the case, and if he does it in a clear way, that is not always in the case. And if they go to a Sunday school class, which actually studies the Bible instead of another book, which is not always the case, then they get a chance to grow up at the buffet table where they pick and choose what they want. That isn't the way you grow up a family healthily because everybody's going to go to the chips and the dip. And that's going to be a problem when the crap hits the fan and suffering kicks in, which it always will because that's God's will. Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered and was made perfect, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. And you know we all suffer, and they're going to suffer unless somebody is near them. When they suffer, they're going to shut down or shut out. That's how the seeds get snatched. And when they get converted at the rally or the church service or in your coffee shop and they go home to sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse or mental abuse or not two parents or a disabled family or a disabled community or peer pressure, what are the chances if you aren't with them protecting them that they stay engaged at all, let alone long-term, let alone finish strong, let alone reproduce in such a way that multiplication occurs. Fear God. Fear God about this. Relational, intentional, strategic, practical, oral. Jesus didn't bring around a three-ring binder. He didn't take him to a rabbinical school. He was the rabbinical school. We are the rabbinical school. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters who you are and who you know. Who you are, that's your identity in Christ. Do you know you're a blood-washed son of God? I tell the story of one of my friends, one of my guys, former NFL player. He went to the San Diego Chargers, and there was a guy there who was a convert, a mature believer named Gilbert. He's a 
guy in the San Diego Hall of Fame. He's a pro NFL coach right now, I think, last I tracked. So uh, my guy, Eric Bowles, knew that Gil was a believer, and he knew he wanted to meet some believers because he's coming into new territory that's kind of intimidating in an NFL locker room. And so he went up to Gilbert, and he introduced himself. And Gilbert said, who are you? And he kind of stumbled and fumbled and said, I'm, I'm Eric Bowles. He said, I didn't ask your name. I asked you, who are you? I'm a blood-washed son of God. Who are you? That's an interesting question. That had to do with identity. Do our people know who they are? Do they know that they are children of God? They're sons and daughters of God with an inheritance that's eternal, with power and fruit that's supernatural, more than they can ask or imagine, everything they need, 2 Peter 1, 3, to boldly proclaim and live the faith. That does not happen naturally. That happens supernaturally under the supervision of another unschooled ordinary man or woman who protects them and provides for them so they can go through the stages of the first knuckle to the second to the third to the fourth. Is that right? And you can only take them where you've been. So if you're at the second knuckle trying to take them to the third, you don't even know the third knuckle's there. So surrender or lordship isn't even on the radar. It's about let's go to church together and worship God and enjoy each other. That's what's called the Dead Sea. As in, don't give your life away and stink after a while. Right? In terms of vibrancy in life. Oral simple. We call the kiss simple. Keep it supernaturally simple. That's our kiss kiss principle. In our discipleship, we're intentional, we're strategic, we're oral, we're simple, we're relational. This is what we think about. This is how we articulate it. This is what we try to walk. This is how we teach it. This is how we walk it. This is how we do it. Our main questions in discipleship is, what did Jesus do with the 12? The answer is, check the Gospels out. We look to the master plan of evangelism as a guide, as, as a supplement. It's not the answer. Dr. Coleman doesn't want it to be the answer. It's a guide to just look at, through a different lens, what Jesus did through the 12. What are those principles? What's the key verse in, in communicating this discipleship? We call it discipling biblically, not because it's better than anything else. Just saying, what did Jesus do? That's why we call it biblical discipleship. What did he really do? Not the what we do, not what's a good program, not what's the plan that works, not what's expedience. What did Jesus do? Let's do what he did the way we did it, the way he did it as best we can. Fair point, right? Second Timothy 2.2, Paul's talking to Timothy. The things you've heard me say, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to reliable men who will teach others also. Paul was always thinking about his grandchildren and great-grandchildren when he was meeting with Timothy. It was always about the generations. I don't care about you at all compared to your kids and our grandkids. I do care. But I don't care at all compared to. Does that make sense? Unless you have generational thinking, it's just going to be about Brett and I. Loving God. Loving God together. It's going to be awesome. Oh, man, we're going to be together forever. High five. Awesome. Everybody else can go to hell. But you and me, we're with the master. That's not what we mean to say. That's not what we feel. That's how it plays out, though. Let's be exclusive. Let's have a little club. It's about out, out, get out, go out. James had to lose his head so he could scatter the disciples out of Jerusalem. He scattered everybody. He's going to continue to scatter them. He wants the world reached. He's serious about it. He's looking for available men and women who will go with their mouth or with their feet. Four generations, one worth. We call it generational discipleship because that's to do with generations. We call it biblical discipleship because that's to do with Jesus and the twelve. Again, here's our target. We talk about eternity. Here's another target. 
To walk with God, that's hard to do. It's hard to walk with God. It seems from some of the parables, it might be one out of ten. Wide is the road to destruction, narrow is the gate, right? Is that or the road? Did I get that right? Yeah. Wide is, it, wide is the path to destruction, narrow is the road. So we're looking at small numbers. That's, that's, he set up the board game. I don't understand it. It's his board game. I play on it. I better learn the rules of the game. Does that make sense? That's a crass way to say it's not my world. It's not my kingdom. It's his. I better know the guy that designed the game. I better understand the rules of the game and the boundaries of the game, and I better play by it. If I want to reap the fruit of it, then I better know how to do it, how to live it. So walking with God is hard. For a lifetime is hard. We already talked about the parable of the seeds. These are our targets. Finish strong. It's, it's, it's not good to us to start fast and not finish. It's not good to us to start fast and not finish strong. Dr. Coleman's finishing strong. He's 92. He's still at it full speed. Given his capacity, he's at it. He's, he's what we can watch and say, I can do that because he did it. He did it so I can do it. He says, come follow me. I say, come follow me. He says, come follow me. Let's do it together. That's how we do it. We do it in community. Cross race, cross culture, cross time zone, cross country, cross language, cross everything, whatever our circles are. We keep investing in the circles, bearing fruit and keep investing. Advance, advance, advance. Walk with God for a lifetime, finish strong, reproduce. If we walk with God for a lifetime and finish strong, and we don't care about other people enough to give our life away, that's not obedience. It's not obedience to just care about us. Obedience is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. One of my concerns about the discipleship movement is it tends to stop at our disciples. And we hope they disciple. I don't hope he disciples. I'm going to coerce him in every way I know, plus I pray a lot, that he do it. Because I don't have any grandkids if he doesn't birth anybody or adopt an orphan, that's the normal, and parent him to parent somebody else. Perpetuity. We need to finish. We need the world. It's not about our little church or city. It's about the world. It's about out there. We meet regularly to inspire, encourage, have accountability, practice, role play stuff, and go out. We come together to go out. Dr. Coleman said early on, I remember uh, one of the things that people thought he just wanted his little club, his little guys in the morning, his group in the morning, right? I attended his group in uh, at Trinity, at Ted's Evangelical Divinity School, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he had whatever, 12 to 15, 16 guys there, right? But, but I remember him and I met each other at the Honolulu airport. He may not remember this. And we crossed through the same electrical door at the same time. I was coming in, he was coming, what are the odds on that? He lived in Chicago, I lived in southern Illinois, and we were in Hawaii, and we crossed through at the Honolulu airport. I say, Dr. Coleman, he says, Scotty, I say, what are you doing here? He said, I've just been visiting some of my boys. He calls them his boys, right? Visiting some of my boys. It was a boy, I think it was in Sri Lanka or one of the Madagascar, somebody out there who was the head of Campus Crusade. You know the guy's name. I can't remember right now. One of his lead guys. And then he said, I've been in South Korea also with one of my boys. He pastors a Presbyterian church. Church has 350,000 people in it. Jim, and that's... If, if you just pour your life into the few who God calls you to come alongside, some of those guys are going to be like Billy Graham guys in their country. They're going to be like Luis Palau. They're going to be some mechanic or somebody that's got a fruitful legacy because they understood the principles of the kingdom, the principles of discipleship. Now, I'm, I'm one guy out of a thousand for him. 
One guy out of a thousand. But if you pour into the right people the right way and you stay at it, it like blows up. And nobody knows your name. And you don't have a ministry. You don't have a bunch of money. You don't have a building. You don't have great technology. You don't need a cell phone. You don't need a computer. He isn't whacked that he knew in 2,000 years there's going to be 8 billion people. I got to start inventing that cell phone because they won't reach the world unless they have enough technology to do so. He doesn't need technology. He needs people. People committed to the cause. That's all you need. Your little church with 47 people. If I got two, we got the world. I just need one. I need one who will faithfully reproduce and multiply, and the math will kick in in a generation. That's why he's not freaked. He's not freaked at all about anything. Technology gets in the way. Can we start depending on it instead of the cross? And the word of God in prayer and discipling people one at a time who reproduce and multiply. That's the master's plan. That's the what. Here's the why. Obedience. They talked about it. I mean, they did a great job articulating last year here. Can't remember who it was up front. Discipleship obedience. But if it's not driven by love, if love is not the engine, if love is not the operating system, it's going to peter out. There's got to be love for God and there's got to be love for people. As I said, I think last class, to the degree that the guys you and gals you pour into know that you view them as your spiritual sons and daughters, to that degree, there'll be transformational impact. If they feel like a job, that's what you're going to reproduce. If they know that you love them with their whole heart and if you can do anything given your priorities, I got a, I got a real wife and I got real sons and I got a real daughter, but he's my son as much as any of them in the kingdom. I mean that. Now, according to Scripture and accountability and responsibility, I take care of my family, but I'm taking care of my sons as I take care of my blood sons. Thankfully, they're both converted. Does that make sense? This is about the kingdom. I'm closer with believers than I am my own blood if they're not converted. I'm going to be with these guys forever. I'm going to be separate from these forever. Don't neglect your responsibilities on this planet and do the business of the kingdom. Do the business of the kingdom. Why don't people do what we're talking about? Here's what we've learned. Four reasons that people do not disciple the master plan way, which is Jesus' way, right? First one is ignorance. They've never heard it before. They've never seen it before. All they knew is you go to church and you join a group, maybe, and you have some brothers and sisters, maybe, and you get together regularly, maybe, and you talk about God and pray and read the word, maybe. That's all they know. It's all they know. And you're going to reproduce what you know. Otherwise, it's a miracle. Now, that happens. Don't plan on it, but it does happen. Pray for it, but, but have a plan. Have a plan that miracle isn't going to be the way you parent, right? That he covers your butt just because you do a horrible job accidentally on purpose. That's a bad plan. So, first one is ignorance. And so our job at the school of discipleship, at our school, and my job as a Jesus follower, if I'm asked, is to communicate the simplicity of the master's plan. We call it a little bit plan. Just read a little bit, pray a little bit, and talk a little bit. And the ball's going to go forward in his walk with God. As I move him to reach out with others, the kingdom will advance. Now, the problem is, I don't want to do a little bit plan. I want to do a lot of bit plan. Because we can more than simply just read and pray together when we get together regularly. We can pray. We can read. We can memorize scripture. We can learn our way around the scripture by learning how to use a study Bible. We can talk about and pray about our circles so we have targets for evangelism and we have a plan to reach the lost and we talk about our disciples and we pray about our future disciples. That's the five questions. 
So we break, we break ignorance with education. The second one is unbelief. They don't think it's, they don't think it has to be that way. It's, we do enough. We got Sunday school classes. We go to church. We got some great programs. We got some great programs. Odds are real good. Your programs are addition. I tell you what, $31 is not a bad deal. If I found 31 bucks in the street or I walked out of this place, I'd say, cool. I'd rather have a billion, though. I'd rather have a billion dollars than 31. 31 is nice. 31 is a nice little, if I got 31 bucks in my billfold, I'm feeling pretty good. Most stuff I can get, you know, that I want for daily stuff. I'd rather have a billion in the bank. Does that make sense? Why take 31 when you can have a billion if it's invest with the same person, just do it differently? People don't, they don't believe that. So we have to show them the math and say, why do you want to do small groups and not disciple? It's insanity. It's insanity to invest the same amount of time and get 30 bucks instead of a billion. It's insanity. And you can use all kinds of metaphors to prove that. Ignorance, unbelief. The other one is fear. I can't do it. People are afraid. They can't do it. They can do it. Here's how we break those two lies. These are our main lies. Hang on a second. Jumping all over the map because dagnabbit time's running out. Yep. Master plan of evangelism, Robert Coleman. Dawson Trotman, born to reproduce. Leroy Imes, The Lost Art of Disciple Making. And all books by E.M., that's initials, E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds, B-O-U-N-D-S. I've never found a finer book to provoke me in Holy Spirit to get off my legs and get onto my knees. Just have never found it. Never found it. There's a lot of great testimonies out of George Mueller. There's all kinds of great testimonies of prayers. I'm not looking for a doctrinal exposition on prayer. I, I know it's a good thing. I want somebody filled with the Holy Spirit who practiced it like a freak for decades to talk to me about it so it can stimulate the Spirit of God within me that wants that same thing. And he gives me a picture of it. That's my thing. The, the two lies, I'm going to try to remember off the top of my head. The one is I don't know enough. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. You know enough. You know enough. The woman at the well knew enough. She just met him. And she knew enough to go into town and say, come see the guy. If all they know is come see the guy, that's enough. That's one eye. Now, uh, most people got more than that. But if they are young and immature, the cool part is Dawson Trotman talks about it in Born to Reproduce. You know, physically, people can't reproduce physically until they reach a certain age. Their sexual organs have to be uh, developed enough for maturity. Is that right? The cool thing in the kingdom is you can, you can lead somebody into relation with my, my six-year-old can evangelize. She's with a buddy gal and she says, do you want to know Jesus? And she says, yes. All I know is I accept him at four. And I remember the day and I think something happened. So I don't downplay children evangelizing children. Because he said, be a child. And they get it at some level. All my daughter knows is Jesus is a good guy and I love him and he's in my heart. That's enough to move the ball forward. They know enough. Don't believe the lie. You don't know enough. Don't say you can't do it. Don't say you don't have enough time. That's also a lie. Now, there may be seasons of life. You got a new job. You moved to a new city. You just had a baby. Right. There's a window there where it may be a little bit different. But nobody has time. You make time. We make time to have physical kids, right? Did it cost you when you got married time? Did it cost you when you had your first kid time? We didn't think twice about that. Why? Because we wanted it. And here's the problem. We don't want to disciple. Be honest. Ignorance. Unbelief. Fear, fourth was I just addressed the cost. 
That's why we got to do a better job in evangelization of letting people know on the front end, this is going to cost your life. Count your army before you go to war. Count the cost before you go to war. Don't just jump in the boat and then retrace your steps. That'd be a bad plan according to the scriptures. Let's do the truth. Don't be afraid of somebody rejecting the faith. Tell them the truth. Give them a chance. Because as soon as the stuff hits the fan, they're going to pull out unless you're near and say, I, I kind of told you this is kind of, it's all right. I've been there. I hear you. We can do it together. Together, 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 together. Lord, what else? Last thing. Lord, show me anything, anything you want. Anything. Pardon me? I did. There are, I'm sorry, I meant four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ignorance, unbelief, fear, the cost. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we can walk people through education because it's hard to deny the math. Ignorance, we can break. Unbelief, the math. Fear, disable that lie. They can't do it. They don't know enough. That's a lie. Can you talk? Can you read? Can you, can you just have a relationship with a human being? They can all do that. That's, that's, that's all you need. I mean, we'd like to have more than that, but that's a start. You can walk, you can talk, you can read. You can do that. That's prayer and that's reading the word and talking about life. That's the little bit plan. We, we want to do a lot of bit plan, but the little bit plan is a good start. It's a good start. When people don't have a discipler, they don't know what to do. Just talk a little bit about life. Talk a little bit to God and read a little bit together the word and the ball will move forward. It'll fall under the category of general discipleship. We just say there's a lot more you can get than that, right? If you're with somebody who can walk with you, who's got two eyes, when you've got one eye, then you can walk with two eyes through there, through them. I tell my guys, if you don't know what to do, I'm here. Walk with them. Just reproduce what we've been doing. Here's our meeting plan for this week. Just do it with the brother on Thursday morning or whatever it is, sister, whatever. Just, just It's going to be okay. This is a lifelong deal. It's not a today deal. It's a life deal. We're going to be together. I'll help you. We're walking together. You're not going to get hung out to dry. I'm not going to hang out to dry. It's going to be okay. And at the first time it doesn't work out well, we'll stay at it. Jamie Anderson, this missionary Macedonian, last thing. First time he discipled, Tacoma, Washington. Um, I was in the area and I moved out and he was there. My fault that I didn't stay following up with Jamie because as he had his first disciple, it didn't go well. The guy who it wasn't who he thought he was and he it just didn't, you know what I mean? It just didn't work out. They committed to meet regularly. I can't remember the story. All I know is it didn't go well. For a year, he didn't consider discipleship because he falsely thought, I can't do this. I can't do it like Scotty did it. My fault. I was a brand new daddy. It's the first time I started practicing, and I didn't understand follow-up when you change geographical location. They're still your kids, even if they don't live in your house or the same city, Right? And so he himself struggled, and he stepped off the cliff a year later and had a tremendous experience of parenting spiritually, and now he was in for life. Now, that's why we have to stay near him in the beginning. That's why when I'm meeting with my guys, this is the biggest, if the two biggest things, I, I apologize, ma'am. The two biggest things I would say is you've got to understand the difference between addition and multiplication. Addition is not multiplication. It's so far below it. It's not bad. It's just not what you want. You have to make sure your people reproduce themselves while you're with them. Don't wait. Don't hope. Pray and make them 
Have a, they know when they meet with me. I'm not going to meet with you regularly unless you're willing, break fear, to meet with somebody else. What? I'll bring them to you. You have somebody in your circles or we'll do it back door. But we're going to start discipling others immediately. You and I discipling others in your circles so they break fear while they're with us so they don't shut down and believe the lie that I can't do it or I'm not good enough or smart enough or whatever enough. You have to do it with them. And you have to multiply, which is make sure they meet with others who meet with others who meet with others. It's ingrained. And my concern here is, I'm going to tell you two true stories. Church is growing at a thousand a year. Okay? That's a lot of people, right? There's a church that had, I think, 600, and they've grown a thousand a year. Now, if they did that for 30 years, picture that. A thousand a year is pretty good church growth, right? It's not a mega church. It had a few hundreds. A thousand a year. They got, they're, they're doing cool stuff. Good stuff. Right stuff. 1,000. 30 years, they're going to have 30,000 people in their church in a hypothetical model. Is that right? No telling if any of them have been discipled. That's problem number one with the parable of the seeds. Isn't that right? But they will have people come to their building because they put on a good show, right? Okay? So this is, this is not the measurable you want. You want CT studs measurable. They're walking with God individually, and we know it 10 years from now. That's the measurement you want, not the measurement of how many are coming on Sunday. That's their measurable. But the funny thing is that homemaker, after 30 years, she's impacted a billion, and they, who've grown f- as fast as any church in our, in our country's grows, 1,000 a year, are so far, 300,000 or 30,000 is so small compared to a billion. Does that make sense? They're the fastest growing church I know of, 1,000 a year, and the little old lady or the guy who's the mechanic is touching a billion, and they're wandering around with 30,000 who they don't even have a relationship with. That's a problem. Billy Graham, he would say this too. Dr. Coleman and I have talked about this. 5,000 come to the front on an altar call. Billy Graham already said the percentages are not great in terms of the sustainability of that conversion unless they're followed up, right? 5,000 every six months, that's 10,000 a year. Billy Graham acknowledged the kind of, he's the top drawer, right, of evangelists. That's 10,000 a year for 30 years. That's 300,000 people, right? 300,000 people at the mercy and whim of the church in that city following up with each of those individuals, right? 300,000 versus one-by-one discipleship of the elementary school teacher with one billion. What do you want? Do you want one billion that somebody's responsible for, or do you want 300,000 or 30,000 that somebody's available for? What do you want? The math says the master plan way is the better way. Lord, forgive me for articulating... In any way, in any way that dishonored you or exalted me, Lord, you must increase. I must decrease. I can't only speak of what I've seen and heard. I've spoken as best I can to say, do not believe me. Go to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. You're the teacher. Other people have walked longer and farther than I have. Everybody parents differently. Bless them. Bless them in their parenting, Father. Bless them in their parenting. Bless their children and their children's children in the faith, God. Make them great in the kingdom. Move them to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. May we have many crowns to throw at your feet. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, O Lord, but to your glory. To your glory for your love and your faithfulness, O God. Your love, your glory. Forgive us, O God. Forgive us, Father, for poor articulation. Forgive us for blind arrogance. Forgive us, O God, have mercy on us, Son of David. Help us, Father. Help us, O God. Help us in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, everybody. 
You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. Make sure to check out the free resource called Revisiting the Master Plan of Evangelism, which is available for free download at discipleship.org slash ebooks. May the Lord bless you as you seek to make disciples who make disciples, which has been the master's plan for us all along.